Welcome to the Stories Are Soul Food podcast, presented by Cannonball Books and Great Homeschool Conventions. Welcome to Magic School. This is the School of Magic. An We're doing episode. a magical school episode, right? This is yep. this is where we teach everybody all the magic tricks. Uh huh. So, stories are soul food. Pick a card, any card. Yeah. We're talking about magic, and what specifically are we going to be talking about magic today, Brian? Well, I was going to ask you. I'm going to read you a quote and ask you. I think there are spoiling a little bit showing you the card i think there are two ways to approach magic and only two ways okay in fiction and i wanted to see if you agreed the first way is kind of exhibited by ursula Le Guin. Le Guin, who says that magic is learning the name of something the true name of something which does rhyme with some nate things that i've heard but then it's yeah. learning the true name of something so that you can then manipulate it manipulate and dominate and control yep and so if you learn the true name of the wind to call out another fantasy author who's clearly in the Le Guin style of things, uh, the Rothfussian yeah. bloated fantasy. Giant fantasy. Yeah. Oh, or if you learned all the colors of the wind. Does that work? I actually am going to be much more fond of If you Pocahontas. go full Hocapontas. <laughs> then then uh, if you paint with the colors all yeah. the time. <laughs> That's all the power of the wind gives you. Yeah, okay. So wind magic is, is all about painting with its colors. Yeah, do you want to talk okay. about names first? Yeah, you, let's, let's actually just cover the waterfront here. Okay. Magic. Magic, magic, magic. Oh, what is magic? We start with that. Yeah, so a typical response to magic would be that magic is when a person uses force to bend the laws of nature. Or break the laws of nature. Right. So the question is whether or not it is the, the breaking of the laws by means of brute force. You know, the mm -hmm. breaking of the laws or breaking of the norms mm -hmm. of nature. Because there are natural laws that are fundamentally immoral. You know, moral laws. And there's natural laws that are rules of thumb. So the law of gravity. If we defy the law of gravity, nobody actually thinks that we have sinned. Right? Yep. If we do it with our personal power, suddenly people get nervous as opposed to doing it with the curve of a wing. Yeah. You know, and, and actually doing what we currently do whenever we defy gravity mm -hmm. uh, or find uh, workarounds. So magic is something that I think is, everybody thinks they know what they mean when they say it, and very few people do. Right. So when parents are concerned about magic, you know, they are, are viewing it as one giant tank of, uh, of activity that is all tainted by witchcraft. the dark side, witchcraft, sorcery, necromancy, all this kind of stuff. So the manipulation and control of the natural world is basically what magic is. Uh, but we add with various assumptions by means of secrets or by means of power that is not available to everyone. Mm-hmm. Magic is something where we need it to be exclusive and that exclusivity and that secrecy is what makes it cool and fun and stories. The fact that it's an anomaly. So if you wrote a, if you wrote a middle grade story about a world in which 
every single person had certain magical abilities. Like every single person had abilities that were beyond what we think of in our world as uh, the normal natural function of man. Very quickly inside that story, you need other people who are super magic. <laughs> like it's everybody has the ability to, you know, turn milk into ice cream with a word. Everybody has the ability to do all these small d- domestic things. It's like, oh, neat. But okay, Harry Potter has to have a really super Patronus. His Patronus has to be the biggest, bestest Patronus. He has to be impervious to the, the dark necromancy of Voldemort. Why? How? How is he impervious? Oh, his mom loved him, as opposed to all you jokers whose mothers never loved you. <laughs> um, anyway, it's people come up with the rules. And so the thing that's really funny to me is that immediate, very, very rapidly, creators think of magic as the breaking of rules, the breaking of norms, shortcuts, workarounds, power and authority beyond normal humans, etc. But then they've also very quickly, equally quickly, have to create and craft rules for the magic, mm-hmm. which is really funny and I think also true. The magic can't be willy-nilly. It can't be all over the map. It can't be anything goes. There's no patterns. It's actually particular spells do particular things. You have to hold your wrist just so. You have to believe it this way. You have to have a wand with a unicorn hair. You know, there's all these rules. And it's really, it is really funny that magic gets set up as the, the breaking of rules or the bypassing of rules and norms. And then that bypassing of rules and norms immediately has a, a deeply established law. You know, rules hmm. and norms are established. And I like that. I mean, I think that's healthy, actually, and is a better understanding of the way God actually made the world. That it's actually access to power, authority, ability beyond the norm, beyond normal man, and comes with its own sets, its own sets of rules. Yeah. Okay. So everything you just described magic as the the means of manipulating nature also applies equally to science. Correct. And um, yes. And, and so Lewis would say, I mean, he has that quote that the wise old men. <laughs> Oh, the wise men of old tried to apply the soul to reality. Yep. And now for magic and he throws in an applied science, we're trying to subdue reality to our own souls or to the wishes of men. Right. And so in that sense, do you think magic and science are the same thing? Or in some ways. Yeah. I actually I really do. So for example, there are parts of the world where and are some of our parts of the world where babies are chopped up embryos are uh, babies are murdered for their embryonic stem cells we've done a, a bunch of horrible things we've done all sorts of awful things we chop up babies we do, we do things not for the just the glee of it but to discover breakthroughs in power like we want to find new things we can do new ways to control reality and so embryonic stem cells were used i had um a ufc fighter, a Catholic UFC fighter was telling me that he would never touch stem cells for joint treatment until they were using adult non-embryonic uh, stem cells because embryonic stem cells were cursed. And cursed. Cursed. Hmm. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, well, every single person I've known who's used them, uh, who's had them injected into wound sites or injuries or things like that has broken out in tumors all over their body. And he's like, it's cursed. I was going, okay, that's an odd anecdotal 
thing, but that makes sense. And because em- the use of embryonic stem cells is that the medievals would know what to call it. They have a word for it. And it would be necromancy. Using like, hey, creatures. so if you if you grabbed Sir Philip Sidney, if you went further back, but if you grabbed somebody from that era and said, Hey, so we've got these guys I'm gonna show you, and they wear white robes and they go into their special, you know, headquarters, their their secret hideouts, their laboratories. And what they're doing is they're making a paste of blended up babies. And they're going to take parts from 10,000 murdered babies and inject it into your shoulder to make it strong. What is that? Like, that's necromancy. It's dark magic. Mm. Like, it's, it's absolutely evil. It's sorcery. It's necromancy. There's no way around it, which is just death magic. So, I mean, necromancy is just death magic. So, it's, we think of ourselves as not at all chasing that because we aren't trying to tap into the demonic or somebody's when they're doing that they're not trying to summon up power they're trying to discover power latent within the world so you're not and there's that subtle distinction that happens in a lot of stories where some some magicians some wizards are trying to summon up an external power an occult power of some kind to then use that power to manipulate reality in front of them versus actually discovering power latent in creation already and that's what Tolkien said magic is. Yeah. So Tolkien was big into saying, uh, if you remember that conversation in, I think it's the Two Towers, when someone asks, so are these elf cloaks magic? And Galadriel or someone who they're talking to says, magic, what do you mean? If you, yeah. mean, if you mean they're made well by the elves. Yep. Then beyond your own abilities. Beyond your own abilities. Yep. But there's something latent in an elf cloak that the hobbits can only describe as magic and Tolkien himself in his letters said, Hey, I use magic inconsistently here, but that's because humans have only one word right? for the manipulative kind and the kind that springs out of your nature. And when people, when people have things that are repeatable or accessible to everybody, they immediately think of them as boring and not magic. Okay. And it doesn't matter how awesome they are. If it's universally accessible, then it stops being magic, which is stupid. Right. I so, mean, it, it seems like fire is the most basic one of those. If you hadn't seen fire before and someone starts a fire, I don't oh, know what other word. I don't care how many it. times you've seen a fire. Sit beside it and stare at it. Sit by your little fire pit, especially in this weather we're having today. Sit by your fire pit and watch that. Watch a tree turn into light and then like give off heat and, and a gas. Fly, and fly away. And just because you call it a phase change doesn't yeah. mean. <laughs> and now. Take a small piece of copper and throw it in there, throw it in that fire, and the copper doesn't burn, but you turn the flames the most vivid blue you've ever seen in your life. Mm. You will never see a blue more vivid and more alive than fire with copper in it. And it's like, okay, so what is going on with the copper? How is it, like it's there, influencing the you know, light waves, color, spectrum, and everything else. But there's, it's just odd. So, I mean, anyway, fire is phenomenal, but it's not even the most inexplicable thing. I mean, it, it, we're, we're so stupid. Um, the, one I, the one I'm fond of to use with school kids is just an apple. So, if you take, a, you take all the nouns that we already know and you explain an apple and you explain yourself first, that you are a person, a being who balances on two appendages, 
sucked down by mass somehow with a force known as gravity, which I've referred to already. It's sucking me down onto this ball of lava, a ball of mostly lava, and I balance on it. I balance on the outside of it. It's pulling me down, and if I kick my toe, guess what it does? Wham! It just slam, it slams me down to the surface. We have people who are super talented, like LeBron James, who are really good at trying to leap off of the surface of this <laughs> ball of lava. Now back up, Google Earth style, and it's like pan, just, just pull the camera back, way back, until you're looking at Earth. And then look at the perspective of how high off of that Earth LeBron James is jumping. Like his mass and his size, like his inability to like get anywhere off. It's just this little ding, 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 ding. It's like this tiny, <laughs> tiny little thing. And we all go, yay. Yay. And we're like, whoa. Did you see how high his head was compared to ours? And this ball of lava is whipping around a star. And on this ball of lava, we have things like apple trees sitting here using the sun, capturing power from a star, and then grabbing air like my breath and ripping it in half using star power and making apples and bark and leaves and everything else out of air. That's just happening all over the place. Apple trees are using starlight. They're using the power from a star to make apples out of air. And then you pick the apple and you have a hole at the top lined with bones and surrounded with scar tissue, which we occasionally decorate. (laughs) And then we shove. Those are lips. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And then we shove that apple made by a star, star power into our faces, into this hole at the top, and we smash it with the bones, and it's sweet, and taste buds have been invented so that you can actually taste it, and it's the right season to do this, and, and you, you push it down into your middle, and your body harvests all the energy that has been, that has been uh, placed there by the star, that then uses it to make things like fingernails and hair. And it just, we're, I mean, we're a completely star-based race. Like we're just walking around star powered, star fueled. Every every single carbon based animal is is built off of photosynthesis, which is that sterile word we use for an extremely magical process. So that's just the so here I am balancing on two sticks on a ball of lava going Mach 86 around a star, which is making things out of air, which I shove in my face, which keep me going through the day. Like we are fundamentally in a fantasy world. And so if I have a fake brain in my pocket, which I do, made out of sand and lightning, and it has a crystal eye, like which it does, then it uses that crystal eye to capture light bouncing off of things. And then that fake brain translates what it sees into ones and zeros, which is very, very specific instructions to other artificial brains on how to recreate an imitation of what I've seen. And then I throw those instructions through space, bouncing off of a metal bird to somebody else's artificial brain, and they a little vibration in your pocket goes, and you look at your phone, and there's a picture from your wife of your son with peanut butter all over his face. Mm-hmm. And it's not really the picture of your son. It's not really your son. Like Light hit a crystal, went through a crystal into this sand and lightning brain in your pocket, translated thrown to your phone, which then follows those instructions to then duplicate the image to the best of its abilities. Like we, we are absolutely living in this fantasy world and we're participating in magic all the time. The fact that it's repeatable and the fact that it's universally accessible means we don't think of it that way. Yeah. We want it to be something that takes us to superpower, superhuman, extra special. 
And that exists in God's world, and so it exists should exist in our stories. But that doesn't mean the rest isn't magic. Doesn't ma- what, what do you do with the people who say, no, magic is just when you can't explain it? Oh, gravity. There we are again. How electrons oh, okay. work, quantum physics. Yeah. Time. Like, I mean, it's just. Yeah. Okay. So you're, you're saying it's all the same thing. Yeah. It's just some of it. We can explain a little bit more about the details of magic, the magic yeah. going on. And so what we like and the this distinction between science fiction and fantasy is very, very subtle in that the readership wants to have a placebo of some kind of repeat, repeatable comprehension or technological breakthrough that enabled the magic to happen. It's a time machine. I made a machine that can right. do this anytime for anyone. Yeah. You know, as opposed to a time wand. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like you could have a time wand versus a time machine. And so it's the actual effect on the narrative and on the universe around the character is identical. And yet the the nature of the approach is different in props. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. All right. Okay. So jumping back to Galadriel, she tells the hobbits stop using the word magic for the devices of the enemy and for what the elves do. And Tolkien goes into this description in one of his letters about how, yeah, the elves are there to show the difference between bad stratagems and science and the good art of the elves, which he says, yeah, uh, what the elves do is art. It's just doesn't have, I think he says the limitations of the human art suffers from. Yep. And actually Tolkien was so funny because he was so suspicious of technology just so deeply suspicious. He actually was given a tape recorder and the first thing he did was recite the Lord's Prayer into it to exorcise the demons. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. And so, I mean, he's, he's very funny and is deeply suspicious of technology and way more open to the beauty and the, the power of the natural world. So mm-hmm. the idea of somebody harnessing the power of the tides without machines, you know, he's like, there, and there, there's, there's truth to this. He actually saw the desire of atheistic man to harness a lot of natural force and ability that was latent in God's creation by means of brute force. We're just going to like use brute force right. to do this instead right. of a weaver's fingers. You know, we're not going to do this deftly. We're going to do this right. with a sledgehammer. Yeah, yeah. And he describes the elves' art as being product and vision and I think unflawed correspondence is something I yeah. wrote down where he just says, hey, if you imagine it and execute it, yeah, then it would look like magic right? in that sense. So the, the thing is that when, when a man runs really, really fast, <laughs> like right. Elijah, when he runs faster than horses, we think of that as magic or, or Christians who don't like magic and, and they want to condemn all magic, call it a miracle to make themselves feel more comfortable. You know, that's the, and then what, what science fiction does is it comes up with a thing that enables anybody to do that. You know, like there's a, yeah, like we, we, we found a hack. Like I found a hack as opposed to, you know, this, this moment. I, I didn't call down the angel of death and Passover in Egypt as a one-off. I actually made a box that does it. If you enter the right combination. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You know, it's like it's, you know, it's we, the same we, thing. Yeah, but athe- okay, atheists I, are very funny. Can I jump in magic. from one of yeah. those Christians? Yep. We've discussed this a fair amount. Here's to you, AJ. And uh, <laughs> AJ? AJ? Yeah. Is there AJ that I know? Yes. And uh, we, we, he, he wants to say, no, as soon as you have magic in the Bible has God involved, 
and you're getting God to come in and mess around with the individual things, as opposed to the magic in stories or make believe where humans have that access to the messing around. Okay, I'm I'm uh, gonna make a couple of distinctions and I'm googling something real quick. I'm going to um, the first book I ever tried to write was called The Seventh Sneeze, and it's because I think sneezes are magic. And it was not vision and execution and unflawed. <laughs> no, I threw it. Yeah, I threw it in the trash can. It was terrible. <laughs> but the title was perfect. The seventh sneeze. But we have in the Old Testament, we have different kinds of magic. We have occult powers, the powers of demons, mm-hmm. right? We have the powers of supernatural agents that are not God directly. Michael, the angel of death in Passover, you know, uh, other things like that. We have magic in relics. So actually vested into specific relics. So the staff of Moses, the rod of Aaron, there it is. Right. But also the bones of a prophet, you know, it's like a man is thrown into a pit and touches the bones of the prophet and comes back to life because he's, he's touched the bones of the prophet, the hem of Christ's garment. You know, we have, those are different ways that magic functions like outside the norm, like outside the norms of, of the natural world. But on top of that blood, a blood talisman on the door during Passover. You have to kill a lamb. You have to kill a lamb. You have to do it this way. You have to get the yeast out of your house. You got to get the blood. You got to paint the blood on the lintel of the door. Otherwise, what's going to happen? You'll die. You're some. Yeah. The oldest, the oldest, the firstborn is going to be killed by the angel of death. Now that is because, not because there's a mechanistic science fiction angle to it. It's a verbal communication. It is a, it is actually a sign a symbol to the angel of death, which the angel of death will recognize Hmm. and then move on. And so we have that kind of communication that happens. We have a protective spell that Mm -hmm. is performed. And you could say protective rite if you want, but it is a blood rite that involves the killing of a lamb. And that's the only way to save your firstborn in your house. The only way is to kill a lamb and put blood on your door. That's it. We've got Moses using his his staff to do all sorts of wild stuff now did that god did that power come from god yeah but i mean all of it does power always does yes so the power came from god but then when we get to the rock in the wilderness and moses strikes it it was disobedience which shows you that the power was actually given to him and which he he possessed it Right, yeah. It was not sleight of hand, and I think that AJ, if he's listening right now, would realize that he lacks faith and hasn't been reading his Bible closely. <laughs> because- <laughs> He'll love that. This is not a paper doll situation where God holds up Moses and makes it look like Moses is doing it, but he's not really. He has vested Moses with power that is now Moses's power, and Moses abuses that power and is therefore punished. So- one of the things we see in scripture is that people who are given authority are held to a very high standard. So because Moses struck the rock, instead of speaking to the rock, he is banned from the promised land. A lot of the other people who were not banned from the promised land, we would say, did much worse things. But they didn't, actually. They didn't do worse things. It was worse for Moses to have done that because he'd been given a much greater insight and much greater power. So Moses had powers the same way I have eyesight. Okay. It's from God. And you think it's coming out of the nature. It's yeah. It's coming out of nature. It's from God, again. but God gave it to him. He had it. You know, it's like, it was his. 
and he could use it faithfully or in he could disobey or obey. And we see that with the prophets too. We see that with Elijah. We see that with Elisha. We see them having power. They were given power. It's theirs and they use it. And so there's other times when they ask for God's direct action. You know, they're calling down fire, for example. You are requesting that God do something as opposed to flexing your own arm. So, right. but okay. Samson, Samson was given abnormal strength, not just a little bit strong, not just Olympian strong. He was given absurd, off the charts, magical ability, carry the gates off the city strength. Mm -hmm. But God gave him that strength. So he was given the strength and it was his. And here's the funny part. It was connected to, it was actually connected to what? The length of his hair. You can't get more fairy tale than that. It's very similar to uh, the blood talisman on the door in Passover. It's like, no, the, the strength is connected to this Nazaritic bow into the into Yeah, the hair. and you can't say that was just arbitrary too because the I think Judges specifically says, but his hair began to grow yeah. after he gets thrown in yep. jail. As in like, hey, what? Yep. the power's coming back. No, it's God did something weird and anomalous there. But he gave it to Samson and then it went away with Samson and Samson culpably uses it. And so we see, we see relic magic in, and talismans in Samson's hair in the blood, the blood ritual in Passover. We see the rod of Aaron. We see the hem of Christ's garment. We see the bones of the prophets. We see all sorts of things. And we see a, a witch using a familiar spirit and then being surprised by Samuel, you know, dabbling with the occult powers. When you, when you read ancient Greek literature, you encounter Aristeas. So you right. run it like book five of the Iliad. You have the Aristea of Diomedes. You know, yeah. Diomedes, the warrior, is taken up. I don't remember which god it was. Athena, probably. I think it was Athena. Can't remember which Ath one either. Athena possesses Diomedes. If I'm wrong, uh, don't correct me. It's For purposes of this podcast, it was Athena yeah. in, in book five. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so Diomedes is possessed by a demon, like by, by a supernatural being, and he goes off, he goes nuts and has a Samson moment where he's just out there brawling. And you see in, in different ancient, you know, literature, pieces of literature, you see these, these moments, these Aristeas. In Celtic mythology, this was called a warp spasm where warriors would open themselves up to demonic powers and become possessed before running into battle and doing a huge amount of damage. And I believe this stuff. I 100% believe that that was happening because I'm not a materialist. I believe in the supernatural world. And also because you see in the Old Testament, excuses being used like, well, yeah, but you know, their God is the God of the hills or their God is the God of the valleys and our God is from this terrain. And so we didn't have that potent possession. You know, we weren't possessed the same way because we didn't go through the right rituals and the right terrain. No, I, th I think that actually is partly the case. And then we see Samson, what you're dealing with is an Aristea of the Holy Spirit. You're seeing not some fallen angel, some little imp or some demon being used by a Greek warrior or an Aztec or a Celt. You're seeing somebody who actually has been given like massive power straight from the source. But then, then it's theirs, you know, as they run into battle with it. I think Christians who are suspicious of magic in books, I think I would agree with them a lot of the time. 
And we can actually wrap up by talking about where we think magic's bad. You know, kind of pivot unless yeah. you have other questions. No, but yeah. I agree with them a lot of the time, but even more, I think they need to wake up and read their Bibles and pay attention. Yeah. And like I should actually say, pay attention. Right. Yeah. And and uh I, I think there's also the kind of magic where you're looking at how the world works. That's the deep yeah. the deep magic of yep. Lewis, where you're not doing something that you've been given special power of. There's not a special right. It's just you know how the emperor beyond the sea has made the world. You are made in the image of God. Mm. So you already, every one of us is already an heir to the deep magic. Every one of us, if you have faith, every, every one of us has, a, has access to the infinite creator and access to life and ability. Yeah. And I mean, beyond, like redemption itself is deeply magic and the result of a, and what, what Lewis calls the deepest magic yeah but re- the result of a blood sacrifice it's not an it's not an abstraction a physical man was hung on a physical tree and paid your debt like your real debt you were under blood guilt participating in a curse part of a cursed race and you were bought out of that with a blood sacrifice so for christians to be suspicious of magic i think is beyond silly yeah uh, only magic i should say that's not aj <laughs> only ma- AJ is the worst. <laughs> only match that silliness is only matched by the silliness of Christians who love all books about magic, whether it's sorcery, necromancy, or total godless villainy. Yeah. Uh, they just like the decor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's like if you're the kind of Christian who gets really into the creepy decorations at Halloween, you need to grow up like and actually like stop dressing like a Nazi and start dressing like a good person. Right. <laughs> you know, like join right. the good team, please. If you're, I've met a few of these folks who are very invested in the, in the fact that witches can be good and the good right. witches, and that's a similar sort of thing. Yeah, pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, bad magic. Yeah, let's, bad, let's, yeah. Let's talk about bad it. magic real quick. And and I and my little pot shot at Halloween. There is I'm going to follow up. I love Halloween. I like Halloween for dressing kids up like caterpillars and football players and things like that. We do not have a holiday in our house where we all dress up like the enemy and go around pretending to be imps. Yeah. So Causing I think problems. we're actually, we're actually in, we're in a, a struggle against principalities and powers. And it'd be like taking a break in 1943 to have all the kids dress like Nazis and collect candy. Like, what are we, what are we doing? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, no, we're, we're still in this fight. So could we not? Yeah. Halloween's a good, a good example of, uh, you know, taking dominion and there's more of the world than yeah. just the material. Yep. Yeah. Oh, I'm happy to steal the whole let's go get candy thing and let's go door to door and dress up and be super cute. You know, I'll shove my children into stuffed puppies. Like I had a giant oversized stuffed puppy that I, I put two of my kids inside of. We had two of them and I cut holes in them and they actually just climbed in and it was amazing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's awesome. It was great, but not witches. So bad magic. Bad magic is the theft of authority. The theft, basically, that's probably the shortest way to say it, the theft or a manipulative seizure of unauthorized use of power and authority. Best uh, exemplified in fiction by the witch in The Magician's Nephew climbing over the wall to steal the fruit from the garden for herself rather than going through the gate to get the fruit for another. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's a, I'm going to have a hack. I'm going to steal this. I'm going to do it for me. What Peter Thiel does with blood bags, if he actually does that, which I think he does, is stupid. Stupid blood magic and it's not going to work. Yeah. 
And if it did work, I would still say, dude, stop. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, again, if you make surviving longer, more healthily, the ultimate goal in life. Yeah. Cloning, you know, cloning yourself minus a brain to harvest your organs so you could live longer. That would be an example of sorcery and necromancy and bad. Don't do it. Mixing strange flesh. If we figure out how to transplant the eyes of a falcon into a human, we shouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like that's there's plenty of things. This is all the Jurassic Park lesson. You know, the right. We are so concerned with whether or not we can do something, we don't stop to think about whether or not we should. And there's a lot of ways to steal power. So embryonic experimentation, all the the horrible stuff we've done with abortion in the U.S. and around the world. That's all. Those are all examples of bad magic. So pursuit of power, uh, pursuit of knowledge, of secret knowledge, and of the secret things by means of the violation of God's law. You know, it's like theft, murder, destruction, you know, anything like that, or by trafficking in occult powers. Like that's one of the other things that you don't get to do. So it doesn't matter to me. Um, and in case you think people aren't, I mean, you can listen to the guys talking about consciousness expanders. Oh, and, gosh. You know, it's it's everywhere. This, yep. isn't, this isn't something that you think, oh, yeah, occult powers is something that happened. Yep. No, we're here. And I think I've said on this show before that I most of my atheist friends believe in demons, but just deny the existence of God, which is, <laughs> is very extra. It's, it's pretty arbitrary. <laughs> it's, it's super extra. But that's the kind of thing where if you look at Moses was given power. Pharaoh's magicians were trying to steal it. And it's really important for Christians to read the story of Moses and Pharaoh's magicians and realize that those dudes could turn sticks into snakes. Like that happened. That happened in this world. There were men who were so practiced in their uh, manipulation of the natural world. And I would say via probably the use of some pretty significantly power, powerful demonic allies. Yeah. They were, they were turning sticks into snakes. And the fact that Moses's snake ate theirs just shows that he was doing a stronger thing. These are guys who could turn water into blood. If you get your exegesis out of the movie Prince of Egypt, you're going to immediately think that Pharaoh's magicians were doing sleight of hand. They were doing card tricks. They were not. Those guys turned water into blood. Yeah, and that's and there's been great studies done of how each of the plagues targeted an Egyptian deity. Yep. And how yep. you know the Nile obviously being the greatest. Yeah. And so when Moses, Moses Moses just went went big with his turning water into blood versus their turning a little bit of water right. into blood. He struck their chief deity. Yep. He smacked their deity and he did all sorts of things. He smacked them. And fight, like building all the way up to the firstborn. I think sometimes we read that story as like, oh, wouldn't it be annoying if there were frogs in your house? Right. When it's really Moses is saying, oh, you like the frog god enough to worship him? Yeah, here, here you go. Yeah, it's way more of a pumpkin yeah. than that. It's way more of Elijah saying, is Baal in the bathroom right now? He can't hear you. But one of the most striking things about, to me about the ancient world, these little details when Moses parted the Red Sea, which I don't know if you realize that, but that'd be a very big deal. <laughs> when Moses parted the Red Sea, that was the kind of thing that happened that happened in a world where Pharaoh's army chased them through it. You know, like that, that happened and Pharaoh's commanders and his army and his soldiers were all willing to go charging into that, which is 
really, really amazing. And I don't think it's just because they were all in a fury and, and blinded. I think that's part of it, but it's because the world is more loaded that way and was more loaded that way for them. These are men who came from a kingdom where the, where the Pharaoh had magicians who could do terrifying magic. I mean, really terrifying stuff. And for real, not sleight of hand, for real. And they were actually still, they just exist in that world. So this is kind of like us, you know, having a, you know, 40 helicopters go over our head and we might be flustered at first, but think about that. We've got these machines beating the air that are flying, successfully flying like locusts while, you know, carrying our soldiers somewhere. And that's horribly terrifying. And you could tell another culture like about that. And then we just keep driving, you know, that could go above the highway and we would just keep going. And they did too. Like they lived in a world where we live in a world that's comfortable constantly with machine domination and, and uh, brute force domination of natural law. They lived in a world where they were used to the concept of like just powers, like magical powers doing magical things. And it was not as anomalous uh, as it is to us. So if God gives you power, and this is something I play with in uh, 100 cupboards and Ashdown and other things. If God gives you power, you have it by right. It's been given to you. It's been given to you rightly. Now it's going to be a question of how you use it. If you're a prophet or you're a judge and you've been given power, it's not fun. It's a bigger problem. It's going to be a burden. It holds you to a higher degree of like wisdom and moral insight. It's going to suck. It really, it really does. You know, you're going to end up in the wilderness. You're going to end up living in caves. You're going to end up in all sorts of interesting scenarios. So, anyway, as far as magic goes, it's all around us. The world is a magical place. We are magical creatures in a magical world. We take it for granted because it's everywhere. We don't even think about the star power as we eat stuff made by star power. It doesn't cross our minds when we use a magical key to light explosions inside a machine that we then ride around. Or if you're one of those Tesla drivers, Harvesting electricity from a nuclear plant or from a dam to then ride that around. <laughs> it's like, you know, we just, we live in this bizarre, bizarre place where we are spoiled, spoiled children benefiting from a huge amount of technological advancement, which is all a version of magic. There you go. So here's the challenge for you. Next time in the next week, you hear someone discussing science, you just need to swap in magic. Magic. in that conversation i follow the magic says fauci <laughs> <laughs> no 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 really magic. no i have we have a potion for you yeah don't worry we've made a potion we're going to mandate that you take it right and it can do weird things to you probably connected to the cycles of the moon i don't know magic always has side effects <laughs> yes it always does <laughs> i always follow the magic <laughs> yeah please do that it'll, it'll make the news a lot easier to watch right <laughs> yeah, just resubtitle it. Yep. Okay. Well, there we, we can go. talk more. We can talk more about this. If you have questions, send them in. We'll talk about specific stuff. I think I actually will sign off by saying I think Le Guin actually is a little bit of hand waving and feels poetic and moving, but doesn't make a lot of sense. I think Lewis and Tolkien both kind of understand. I think they both understand the nature of magic and the fact that science fiction and that kind of technological control of the natural world is a subset. Yeah. It's a subset of magic as opposed to pursuing the occult or pursuing the powers or pursuing right. the spiritual power latent in a thing. 
interacting with with powers beyond our understanding comprehension or natural law beyond our comprehension or immaterial laws beyond our comprehension using machinery to do it is not a different thing it's actually a subset of the, of the same i like it and i have one last quote from jk rowling i don't believe in the kind of magic in my books but i do believe something very magical can happen when you read a good book yeah then that's so for people who are upset at me when i slander quote unquote slander her by saying one of the things I don't like about Harry Potter is it reads like a series written by somebody who doesn't believe in magic. <laughs> right there. There we go. Ta-da. I win. Yep. I win. I was right. Told you so. <laughs> Until next time. If you enjoyed this episode, check out Indy Wilson's book, Notes from the Tilt-A-Whirl, Wide-Eyed Wonder in God's Spoken World. Order today at canonpress.com.